I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Michael Bruce. His website is thesleepdoctor.com, but I call him Dr. Sleep. He's a clinical psychologist, diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine, and fellow of the American Academy of Sleep. He's also the author of several books, including The Power of When. And you've probably seen Dr. Bruce on one of his many appearances on television, including on Dr. Oz and The Doctors. And you can learn more about Dr. Bruce and his work at thesleepdoctor.com. So I'm probably not the first person to call you Dr. Sleep, am I? You're probably not. I would, I'll give you that. Right. <laughs> Clearly, I need more creative material. So, all right, well, let's see if we can do something more creative in our podcast, at least, if I don't have original names for you, and I'll come up with something new. Fair enough. All right, so I want to talk about uh, what I'll call the stigma of sleep and try mm -hmm. to inspire people to sleep because Americans walk around, as I say, wearing their sleep deprivation as a badge of honor. Has anyone ever described right. that that way? So and given that we're so proud of our sleep deprivation because we think that it, you know, it's an honor to sleep so little, which means you're working so hard. And even though there's an insomnia problem and people complain about their lack of sleep, they also don't want necessarily to sleep around and make it look like they're lazy, et cetera. So what I want to do is, is inspire people, including me, who's a late goer, goer to better, um, to understand your body's working when you're sleeping. And what is it that, that we need to know is great stuff about sleep to assuage the guilt, if you will. Well, so I think there's a lot of different things that we can sort of think through this as an idea. But the first one is everybody needs to remember that sleep is healing. And so when you're not sleeping enough, your body is not healing enough. Every single day, things happen to our bodies that require a period of time where there's cellular repair, there's um, all kinds of things that are going on in your body, immune system function, things of that nature. And w when we don't allow our body to have the amount of time that it needs to do that, all we're doing is setting ourselves up for disaster. A perfect example is weight loss. So in my second book, The Sleep Doctor's Diet, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep, um, I talk about how sleep deprivation um, impedes the metabolic process. So if you're one of these people who, as you said before, wears the badge of honor of sleeping for five hours a night and they're super tough and can get it all done, my guess is, is that you've probably got some extra pounds around your middle. Um, and if you've been trying to get rid of those, it's been extremely difficult to do so. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that sleep affects almost every organ system and every single disease state. At this point, we now know that if you're sleep deprived, Cancer cells multiply faster, period, end of story. I, it doesn't get much more serious than that. So if you have any type of medical situation going on in your life at all, and you're not getting rest, you're just making your situation worse. So, and then it's interesting actually, because I also um, heard you talking about that sleep chemotherapy is more effective when you take it at night. Yeah, it's interesting. So you can actually time your chemotherapy to the point in your circadian rhythm where it will be most effective and you get to use less chemo. It's unbelievable. I mean, Sloan Kettering is keeping is looking at these now and believe it or not, the Nobel Prize in medicine this year was won by circadian sleep researchers. So yeah. this is on the forefront of everybody's thinking for sure. Well, and again, with, with lights, with screens, with mm -hmm. travel, all of our body clocks are so off that we've kind of lost our connection to 
our basic, as you say, circadian rhythms or our, our kind of animal schedules? Well, absolutely. And so what, when we look at our circadian rhythms, historically we've seen them described as early bird and night owl, okay? And that's, that's sort of the vernacular or the, the, the construct that many of us have thought about. Um, and then came along the idea of a hummingbird, which was somebody that was kind of in the middle. My take on the literature is a bit different. I believe that insomnia is also represented by these different chronotypes. And a chronotype is a genetic propensity uh, for a circadian rhythm. So your genes actually dictate what time you go to sleep, what time you get hungry. Um, they, they dictate um, immune function, all kinds of things. Uh, you know, your microbiome, your gut flora, everything you can imagine runs on a circadian rhythm. And if you know what your circadian rhythm is, early bird, in the middle, night owl, or insomnia, and I've given them different labels, uh, you can actually schedule things in your day to be able to do them at a, a little bit more proficiently, uh, but certainly more productively. Okay. We're going to do that topic another day. I actually accidentally sent us right down a, a well <laughs> hole into the wrong topic. So let's come back to what I really wanted to talk about, which was helping people be excited to go to sleep, right? And, and understanding all the work that body is. So what's the, what's the biggest misconception that people have about sleep? Like, do they have a misunderstanding about the process of it? I do. I think they do, yes. So what I would argue is most people focus on sleep quantity, not sleep quality. So most people are thinking, I got to get my eight hours. I got to get my eight hours. So believe it or not, eight hours is a myth. And so if you just look at the math behind it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So people need to understand that getting better quality sleep makes more sense. The average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long. The average person has five of those. That's 450 minutes or seven and a half hours. So people need to stop focusing on how much sleep they're getting, but do things to increase the quality of the sleep that they're getting. And by the way, that's not a hard thing to do. Every single person who is listening right now can improve the quality of their sleep in 48 hours or less um, and start to feel better, start to be more productive. And let's be honest, every single thing you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. You think faster, you react faster, you be, you're less emotional, you make more logical decisions, you perform better. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, just looking at athletes, every single major sports team in the country now has a sleep specialist associated with them for their athletes to perform better. And don't your, aren't your cells regenerating overnight while you're sleeping as well? And that's the healing process. That's right. where we start to see um, cellular repair, cellular regeneration. All of these things have to happen during a period of time when the body is not out and about and doing all these different things and accepting stimuli. It has to be during a period of time when the body is quiet and calm and can focus in on that healing and repair. Right, and, and then again, including the immune system where Absolutely. It, it builds your immune uh, system. Those who are sleep deprived have a weaker immune system and more vulnerable to all sorts of illness. Well, there's no question about it, but here, I'll give you an easy one. Let's look at the flu shot, right? So we're wandering right into flu season coming up and lots of people decide, oh, should I get the flu shot? Should I not get the flu shot? Here's what was interesting is for people who were interested in getting the flu shot, they did a great study at the University of Chicago. And what they discovered was is when they um, gave people the flu shot and then um, deprived them of sleep and then exposed them to the flu, they all got the flu. So what we're finding is, is that just being up for a significant period of time or just being sleep deprived, it actually reduces the effectiveness of the flu shot. That's a big deal if you're 
a senior, you don't want, first of all, I don't know if anybody out there has gotten the flu, but it's terrible. It'll knock you on your butt. And it's, it's definitely one of those things that will keep you out of commission for a good seven days. And all you need to do is make sure that you sleep well. Like it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. So what is it that's with the mind game? And I'm just as bad about it. And I get, I'm like a six and a half hour person, but uh-huh. what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. But I have this, it's like, I have guilt. I, I can't nap. I feel like um, uh, that like oh, that like that saying. that sleep is I'll call it a a waste of time relative to being productive. I grew up okay. with a high productive expectation father. I grew up with you know that that the more productive. What have I done today? What have I done today? So somehow going to sleep and being you know that that in my mind I've associated with slovenliness or you know or sloth or something laziness or yes exactly right so and i'm guessing i'm i mean i know i'm not everybody and i'm not normal all the time but i'm not the only one out there because we have so many people running around proud of their four hours five hours of sleep so what is it that we need to release and understand that it's okay like that sleep is good it's okay let get let go of that guilt well, you know, it's 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 interesting to me because I don't find people who show up in my office um, don't feel guilty about sleeping too much. People who show up in my office wish they could sleep more. You know, I'm a I'm I'm a you know actively practicing sleep specialist, and so um, you know when I talk with people about feeling better about getting more sleep, it, and unfortunately in my mind it just seems so so terribly obvious. But uh, the easiest way I can put it for people is is this. Um, we know that sleep deprivation causes mistakes, right? We, whether it's driving mistakes, cognitive mistakes, emotional mistakes, and those mistakes are very, very costly. So if, every time you make a mistake, you can probably look back and say, wow, I didn't make that decision you know, the way I should have, and it was probably based on a lack of sleep. So every single thing, again, that you do, you will do better with a good night's sleep. There's no reason to feel guilty for getting more than six and a half hours of sleep. But by the way, six and a half hours of sleep is not a bad amount of sleep. That's what I get, and I'm the sleep doctor. <laughs> well, then apparently I'm doing it perfectly. Well, it just depends. You know, right. it's different for different people at right. different times in their lives. It's different for different genders. It's different based on medical conditions. Here's how you figure it out, is everybody has a socially determined wake-up time. In my house, I have to be up at 6.30 to let the dogs out and get the kids up. Uh, that's just my thing. That's what I do. And so I figure out what time do I need to go to bed? Well, I took those 90 minute sleep cycles um, and I counted back seven and a half hours from uh, 6.30 in the morning and that was 11 o'clock at night. So I went to bed at 11. Well, I did this experiment and it failed miserably because I went to bed at 11 and I woke up at 5.30. I went to bed at 11 the next night and I woke up at 5.30. My body doesn't want more than six and a half hours of sleep. So now I go to bed at midnight, I wake up at 6.30 and everything works perfectly. Your body will tell you how much sleep it wants. I haven't used an alarm clock in close to 20 years. I look at the clock, I say, I want to be up in six and a half hours, and that's what time my body gets me up. Once you locked in based on the consistency of your schedule, you actually don't require as much sleep because you're getting better quality sleep. The more consistently you can go to bed, but most specifically wake up at the same time, even on the weekends, you're going to have a better night's rest. So are those 90-minute cycles always 90 minute cycles no, no matter how long you sleep no my, here, here's what I'm going like in some people might it be a 75 minute cycle because as I exactly. you know as you adjust your sleep so mm-hmm. do the, to, is it the cycles that that 
adjust as my time of sleep requirements adjust? Well, yeah, it is. Um, and it's the amount of, and by the way, not all cycles are created equal. So cycles at the beginning of the sleep uh, event or the sleep evening have more stage three, four sleeps. Cycles at the end have more REM sleep, and those do very different things in the body. Um, stage three, four sleep is actually physical restoration, whereas REM sleep is actually mental restoration. So very different uh, uh, things that will occur uh, depending upon when you are. And yes, people have very different sleep cycles, and that sleep cycle can be different based on your chronotype. Like I said before, early bird night owl, uh, it can be different based on your medical condition. It could be different based on medications that you're currently taking, your age, your gender, um, where you are in your menstrual cycle, if you're pregnant. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so people need to stop thinking that everybody needs the same amount of sleep because it's simply not true. And I assume there's nothing that I can do to control the cycle lengths of my sleep. Uh, that's not 100% true. You could actually do some things to control your cycle lengths. Um, as an example, my cycle lengths used to be much longer, closer to 90 minutes. And what we discovered was is that I am having five cycles, but my cycles are roughly 78 minutes. Now, how did I figure that out? Well, number one, I work in a sleep laboratory, so it's not that hard because I've got all that equipment lying around. Um, but number two is the consistency of my bedtime and my wake-up time allows my brain to get into deep sleep faster than other people would normally do that. And it's all based on how incredibly consistent my sleep schedule is. Got it. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about some of those tricks for managing your sleep time and sleep quality. I'm talking to Dr. Michael Bruce, one of the foremost experts on sleep. Dr. Bruce says, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. But sadly, Americans are struggling to get that good night's sleep, and it's affecting their mood, their health, their family, and even their job. Michael has been providing Bottom Line's readers with tips to improve their sleep for many years. His insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just overcoming insomnia and the importance of a good night's sleep, but on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. We're back with Dr. Michael Bruce, and we're talking about the, the benefits of sleep because there's some, something about Americans wanting to be proud of their sleep deprivation because we feel like it makes us more productive. But in fact, sleep heals the body. So before the break, uh, Michael, we were talking about quality versus quantity of sleep. So, yep. um, and the people focus way too much on quantity. So let's talk about the quality. What do you mean about it and how can I control it? Once I'm asleep, I'm asleep. So it, it's interesting, right? So some of the things that you do during the day can have a direct effect on the quality of your sleep at night. There are three different areas that I'd like to discuss, caffeine, alcohol, and exercise. So as we all know, caffeine is a stimulant. Um, most people don't know, but it has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So if you can stop caffeine by about 2 p.m., um, at least half of it will be out of your system by 10-ish, which is about the time that most people start thinking about going to bed. And so, again, 
I'm sure there's a listener out there who's thinking in their head, huh, sleep doctor. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I can have a cup of, I can have a cappuccino after dinner and fall right to sleep. This may be true, but if I attached electrodes to your head, there is no doubt in anyone's mind, caffeine is a stimulant and it will actually keep you in the lighter stages of sleep. So while you may be able to fall asleep, the quality of that sleep is going to be significantly worse than you might have imagined. So by, if you can stop caffeine by 2 p.m., you're in great shape. And notice I didn't say stop caffeine. I just said stop it by 2 p.m. You want to have your morning cup of coffee? No problem with me. Uh, the second area Wait, is alcohol. Before you move oh. on to alcohol, question. How about those five-hour energy drinks? Same deal. Um, I find that those, because they all have about a cup's worth of caffeine in them. And for the ones that say that they have no caffeine in them, look at the ingredient profile. They usually have something called guarana. And guarana is about three times more potent than caffeine, depending upon uh, what kind of guarana you've got in there. So all of them have got something that's stimulating in them. So I would argue that all of the energy drinks fall into that category as well. And how about caffeine from tea, where they always say that it's not as spiky? Um, you know, green tea is good for you for a lot of different reasons. But at the end of the day, if you can't stop caffeine at 2 p.m., you got a problem on your hands, right? And the problem is, is that you're probably not sleeping well. And so I'd rather you look at what could be causing your sleep disruption than, oh, can I have just another cup of tea at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? No, I was really more just trying to be out there so that not just coffee drinkers, because there are a whole lot uh -huh. of people that are tea drinkers, well, so and they don't they think, oh, it's just tea. It's not the same same deal, gotcha. but caffeine is caffeine. Yeah. So Caffeine uh, is caffeine no matter how you slice it. Okay. Now you may talk about alcohol. All right. Let's talk about alcohol. One of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out. Okay. Alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world. More people use alcohol to help them fall asleep than anything else. And quite frankly, it's really not a great idea. What we know about alcohol what is while it does make you feel sleepy, it keeps you out of the restorative stages of sleep, stages three and four sleep, where that physical restoration occurs. In fact, almost half of what you experience in a hangover is the lack of deep sleep. The other half is dehydration because alcohol is a diuretic. It makes you have to go to the bathroom. We know that when you're drinking alcohol, if you're not drinking water with it, so a glass for a glass, every time you have an alcoholic beverage, you should be drinking a glass of water. If you're not doing that, you're going to bed dehydrated. And that's not good because sleep doesn't actually is not as effective in a dehydrated state. So there's lots of reasons not to drink right before bed. But the guideline is basically this. For each drink that you have, give yourself one hour for your body to digest it. So if you have two or three glasses of wine with dinner and dinner stops at, let's say, 8.30, then you're going you're gonna to go to bed two and a half to three hours later so that way the alcohol is out of your system. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Gotcha. The final – oh, do you have a question about alcohol? Nope. I have nothing okay. more to say about alcohol. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk so about exercise. Final, yeah, the final area is exercise. The single biggest way to improve the quality of your sleep is daily exercise. Now, I'm not saying you got to run a marathon here, okay? Um, I'm talking 20 minutes. Park your car at the other end of the parking lot. Um, go to the mall and walk around if it's too cold to be outside. Do something to get your body moving roughly 20 minutes a day. And it can be, uh, doesn't day, have to be highly aerobic. It can be just walking is fine, no, just movement. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I will tell you that the more aerobic it is, the better it's for, it is for your sleep. Um, again, I don't want people overdoing it. Make sure that you've spoken with your doctor to make sure you're capable of doing this exercise. But exercise without question 
increases the quality of your sleep. A little caveat here is be careful. Some people get a lot of energy when they exercise, so be careful about exercising too close to bedtime. I usually tell people, give yourself about three or four hours after you've worked out in order to um, have that quality of sleep not be disrupted because some people get too jazzed up from exercise. Gotcha. Okay, can we cycle back for a second? I wanna go back to the, the attitude towards sleep and the positive mm -hmm. attitude towards sleep and whether or not parents are helping or hindering or if there's anything in particular they should do for their kids um, in terms of teaching children about sleep early or sleep hygiene. Absolutely. And then with teens also about them um, and knowing that sleep's okay and not being, you know, they, teens want to stay up all night long. So let's talk about kids first. Okay, so when we talk about kids, we have to put them into two different subgroups. We have to talk about teenagers, and then we have to talk about all other children, because teenagers are very different. Right. So it turns out that teenagers have a biological clock that wants them to stay up late and sleep late. Uh, if you remember back to when you were a teenager, I know it was true for me. Um, I never wanted to go to bed before 1 o'clock in the morning, and I certainly could sleep until 2 o'clock in the afternoon without any problem. This is a biological function. This is not kids being lazy. So number one, educate your children. The biggest problem that we have with teenagers right now, um, well, there's two of them. One of them is the devices that they use at night, cell phones, tablets, uh, laptops, all of them emit blue light. Right. Before, um, it's not the I, color blue. Before we go to blue light, let's stay on the yep. parents for a second because I think there's sure. a really important element for them to think about. That, So parents' attitude is, kid, you're being lazy because you're sleeping all day. Right? right. So so the parents have to also not just educate their kids and not just shift that. The parents have to shift their own point of view and judginess that their kid isn't a loser. Well, absolutely. And and by the way, their kid might have some issues that they are or want to focus in on, but you can't fault a child because their biology is telling them to sleep. Okay, it just doesn't work out very well. Walking into your kid's room on Saturday morning at nine o'clock and saying you're, you're sleeping the day away is not make sense from a biological standpoint. And so absolutely parents need to shift their viewpoint, if you will. Because we're um, giving those powerful messages. Again, why am I 58 years old and obsessed about if I sleep too much, I'm being lazy? Because somewhere along the way a long time ago, I got this productivity, productivity, productivity message into my head. So, I think that's true, but I would also argue that that's not true for the majority of the population. I think that's it's a smaller group of people, but yes, they are driving their children in, in a different direction. So when now, do they know that it, it's not normal? Like, wh when should a parent know that it's not normal level of teen sleep? That's a tough question. Um, I would argue, I mean, I have two teenagers. I have a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old, and on Saturdays, I leave them alone. I let them sleep as long as they want. Um, and that could be until two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I don't let them stay up as late as they want, but I do let them sleep as late as they want. So um, when is a teenager sleeping too much? Uh, if your teenager tells you that they can't wake up for school um, on Mondays, uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, that kind of thing, then um, you're probably letting them sleep in a bit too much on the weekends because their whole circadian rhythm has shifted. Uh, that would be one thing. Um, if you got school refusal, that would obviously be an area of concern. You'd want to bring somebody to a doctor. Um, also, there, right around the teenage years is when something called narcolepsy can rear its ugly head. And so um, when you've got a child who's 
not just sleeping for seven, eight, nine hours, but kids who are sleeping for 10, 11, 12 hours, you definitely want to bring them to a doctor and figure out what's going on. And what's too late? Like, so you said that the teen's sleep schedule, their circadian rhythms have shifted and they naturally want to go to bed later. Is there right. is later midnight or is later three in the morning? And again, is that okay? Because you have to go with the individual's schedule. So it's different by kid and by age and by developmental status. So I can't give you like a blanket answer that says, hey, if you go past 10 o'clock, that's a problem because it's going to be different per child. And then how about again for the kids that are, you know, all very proud of themselves. I stayed up till two in the morning needing Mm -hmm. to shift them off of that pride of late sleep. Well, and so, so what you have to do, what I do with my kids and with the patients that I see is once I start educating the, the child themselves, they don't feel a big um, bravado from staying up until two o'clock in the morning. Um, there are a lot of type A personalities out there who think that's in a really important thing. You don't find that nearly as much in teenagers. Um, and so uh, many of them are not saying, hey, I can stay up until three o'clock. What they do is they play video games, they're watching YouTube videos, they're on Facebook, chatting, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, what have you. And so it's very simple. You just limit their exposure to those things. If, you want, if my kids want to read a book after midnight, I don't have a problem with it. But if they want to be on Instagram, I do. Right. And then, okay, so I cut you off before. Let's talk briefly about the screens. And then we'll talk about what we need to um, messages for, for younger children. Sure. So when we're talking about screen time, there is a light that is emitted from all screens. Now, um, it's called blue light, but it isn't actually blue in color. It's on the blue part of the spectrum or what's called the cyan spectrum. Uh, And so between 450 and 480 nanometers is the wavelength of light. When it hits your eyes, it turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. Remember, melatonin is kind of that key that starts the engine for sleep. And so when kids are looking at a phone that's 18 inches from their eyeballs and the phone is telling their brain, don't go to sleep, it's a problem. Now, here's, here's a bigger issue. How do you get the phone out of your kid's hands? It's really easy for me to say, oh, okay, no problem. So let me tell you what happened in my house. I decided I was gonna get the phones away from my kids. So I said, hey, I need everybody to turn in their phones at 10.30. Well, that never happened. So then I went around trying Shocker. to collect the phones at 10.30. That uh, I got more refusal than I think I've ever had about anything in my life at that point. So I said, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll just turn the router off in my house, right? I'm like the evil dad, right? Data dad. Yeah. So I turned off the router. You'd have thought there'd have been a mutiny um, in my home. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to make it happen this way. So instead, my children wear blue blocker glasses starting at around 830 at night. What this does, blue blocker glasses are glasses that are specifically designed to block the blue wavelength of light. These are very, very effective. You can find them on Amazon. Um, And what they do is they filter out that 450 to 480 nanometers uh, wavelength. And then my children can watch their videos without being exposed to blue light. And then they can turn them off uh, around, you know, 1130 and go to bed. Okay, love it. All right. So now what do parents need to do in terms of children uh, to help them learn at an early stage that sleep is a good thing and sleep is healthful and have have positive attitudes toward it? It's all about how you uh, serve the sandwich. Right. And so when you're dealing with small kids, um, some and by the way, some small children are not great sleepers. They're just born not 
good sleepers. Most children, however, 75 to 80% of kids out there actually would like to sleep. Um, but the thing about sleep that's always fascinated me, especially with little kids, is when kids get tired, they don't say, hey, mom, I want to take a nap. They act rambunctious. And they look like ADD and ADHD kids. Um, what's really fascinating is if you dig into the literature, 25% of kids who are currently diagnosed with ADD or ADHD actually have an underlying sleep disorder. And when we fix the sleep disorder, all the ADD symptomatology goes away. So education can't be um, any more important in my mind. And you got to start young. Um, start with bedtime when you've got a bedtime routine with your children, you know, especially when they're itty bitties. It's, you know, it's bath time, it's story time, it's say your prayers and go to bed or whatever your, whatever your routine is. Um, keeping that routine and explaining to your child, why do we have a routine? Here's what your routine is. Here's what mom and dad's routine is. Everybody has a routine because sleep is not an on off switch. It's kind of more like pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake and education becomes paramount at the younger ages. Yeah, got it. Okay, perfect. So thing to remember, thank you, Dr. Michael Bruce. Sleep is a healthful thing. Sleep is, our bodies are actually working hard during sleep. The better our sleep habits oh, beforehand, yes. the better our bodies will be able to function, heal at night and function in the day. All right, Dr. Michael Bruce, thesleepdoctor.com. Thank you.